Beste ervaring. You are listening to That Digital Show, a business podcast presented by Google Cloud to help organizations innovate and grow value in a digital world. Episode 54, Smarter Insurance on the Cloud with CNA. Today, we'll discuss CNA's journey to the cloud through five transformation pillars and the effects they are having on business operations and their corporate culture. Welcome to the Transformation Debrief. I'm Chris Hood, a digital strategist at Google Cloud and your host. In each episode, we aim to stir visionary thinking and share unexpected insights on transformation initiatives and lessons learned along the way. CNA is one of the largest U.S. commercial property and casualty insurance companies with roots dating back to 1897. The insurance industry experienced a noticeable impact in 2020, with overall growth declining by 3% and profits falling by 15% from the year before. In 2021, both CNA and the industry began to rebound with a huge focus on technology, growing investments in data, machine learning, APIs, and the cloud from 7.2 billion in 2019 to 14.6 billion in 2021. To discuss these trends and CNA's journey through them, I am joined today by Richard Wien and Santos Vardivaj. Welcome both of you. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourselves and your roles at CNA? Sure, Rich Wien, I'm a Vice President and Actuary here at CNA. Been here a little over 12 years in a variety of different roles some more forward, outward facing, some more a little bit more inward facing. You know, the last couple of years, one of the most exciting things I've been involved in is really our cloud data and analytics transformation. I'm Santosh Bharadwaj, Senior Vice President and the Global Chief Data and Analytics Officer at CNA Insurance. I've been at CNA for over 18 months now. So I've been driving analytic and data and cloud transformations for the last 15 years. And this is my first experience driving transformation within the insurance industry. We ask all of our guests on the show the same question, and I'm curious to hear what you both have to say. What was the most transformative role or decision in your career to date and why? Yeah, so for me, the, the most transformational role that I've been a part of has really been getting involved in this cloud data and analytics transformation. You know, as we embarked on this, we really had to embrace the gray, right? There's no right answers here. There's no wrong answers here. We have to test and learn and iterate quickly and for me, that new way of working, that new way of looking at things has truly been transformational on my outlook and how I work with my teams. The most transformative role was an opportunity I was given about 15 years ago to kind of to lead the overall analytics transformation, where I had an opportunity to learn transformation beyond just technology and expand my experience and learning to things like people, value, and overall cultural transformation. Yeah, I really like what you're saying there. And I think oftentimes we talk about transformation as a technological type of initiative. But really, when we even talk about digital transformation, mm -hmm. it's not solely about technology. It is about the people and the processes, as you just mentioned. So how are you approaching that now at CNA? So at CNA, we have organized our data analytics transformation across five pillars. So number one is the foundation, is we want to really use this opportunity to build the leverage in terms of speed and scale. So we are a 125-year-old organization with a lot of data, 
Now we want to use this opportunity to build a truly scalable foundation on the cloud. And more important, to leverage automation as a way for us to accelerate our migration to the cloud. For instance, just over a year ago, we probably had less than 10% of our migration patterns automated. Today, over 80% of our data migration is automated. And this has helped significantly compress our migration timelines by more than half. Another area in the foundation is a partnership we are having with Google right now where we're building a model factory which is an assembly line for predictive models on Vertex AI which should help us significantly improve our time to market. And the third part of it of the foundation is really building a very mature governance and a, and a comprehensive data catalog which includes not just the content in terms of the metadata but very useful business context that really makes this a self-serve experience. The second pillar is like, I mean, if we consider everything to be built as a factory which has all the raw ingredient in it and all the machinery that gives us speed and scale, now we want to take advantage of this foundation or factory to really generate business value in terms of analytic products. And the third pillar is really, this is where we start addressing the cultural aspect of it, starting with the operating model. I mean, there are obviously different operating models in terms of how analytics is organized. Some places are centralized, some places they're highly federated. We have decided to take the best of both worlds and really set up a hub and spoke model where there's a much tighter integration between sort of the analytic hub, which is focused on the foundation, and the spokes which take advantage of the foundation to deliver business value. The fourth pillar is around talent. So in terms of talent, our flexible work program really carries forward that everything that we learned over the last few years, allowing us to meet the evolving needs of our customers and supporting new ways of really the focus on our employees. So both across CNA and analytics, we really empower our employees to work in a very highly flexible and collaborative way, give them access to the best tools, you know, very challenging uh, problems to work on and very exciting. But the most important is to really build a very inclusive culture. And the fifth pil pillar, which is again part of the overall cultural transformation is around change. So while sometimes we can get too focused around the technologies we're building on the cloud, we really are hoping to see these technologies and the newer patterns change behavior in terms of how we leverage analytics to drive value. Richard, I want to go back to something you said and connect the dots here. That last one, change. And in your intro, you were mentioning the gray area. And for a 125-year-old company, there's probably a lot of gray area when it comes to change and understanding the dynamics of cloud transformation and data transformation and, and the culture that Santosh was just talking about. How do you look at that from your perspective? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, right? So, you know, we have this great foundation now. We have this great technology. But really the question that we ask ourselves is, what does this mean for us? as an organization, right? So leaving aside the technical capabilities, you know, what we really landed on is interconnectivity, right? That's what this means for us. So um, if you think about, right, we are a mature organization, we have a mature data stack, we have mature reports and dashboards and all sorts of um, sort of data capabilities. Um, but really what this means and what we thought about as we started to use this, again, iterating quickly, right, and learning um, because again, we knew that we were heading into a new area uh, for us as an organization, is how do we create an insights platform that connects everything that's happening day to day across our organization, across different functional areas, um, across different um, perspectives and backgrounds into one area that we can use and leverage those insights to optimize what we're doing. Um, 
and build it in a way that we know we're going to iterate, right? Delivering minimally viable products, iterate quickly, um, sort of prove things out, and then execute on them. Uh, and as I think about, you know, some of the early wins we've had, you know, they're really focused on connecting um, all of the aspects of what, for example, might lead to a uh, servicing our customer by issuing a policy, right? All the different components of that, how do we connect everything everyone's doing so that we have insights on that across the entire organization? You know, Santosh, you were talking about different types of transformations in your pillars, and Richard just touched on that a little bit himself. I'm curious from your perspective, we talk about transformation as a broad topic, but really when we dive into like data and cloud and digital and cultural, there's a lot of different flavors of transformation. Do you look at those differently? I honestly think these are all connected. I mean, let's just pick on digital transformation, right? So I honestly see data and analytics transformation as sort of this essential connective tissue that really enables an organization to digitally transform itself. So let me give a couple of examples. I'm going to pick on a couple of themes that Rich highlighted. One is around interconnectivity. So when we made a decision to migrate to the cloud, you know, there were two choices we had. Number one, you know, the fastest path would have been for us just to copy what we've had on-premise and just migrate to the cloud. Quite honestly, I think we probably would have been the fastest way to get a data to the cloud. But one of the things I think it is very important as you approach transformation is you need to really figure out what is, a, what is the outcome that you want and start working backwards from it. So if the goal here was really to create a 360 view across the global organization and interconnectivity, migrating a data, a 20-year-old data stack to the cloud would probably have given us very little benefits in terms of transformation. So we really decided to use this approach to really build a foundation ground up. The second thing that is very essential in terms of digital transformation and how data can connect to it is what I call as a feedback loop. At the end of the day, you know, you really need a, a sort of a closed loop that connects data to the insights you get from it, the action you take from those insights, and capturing those results, which in fact generates more data. And I think that is really the end state of where we really want to drive transformation is to establish this feedback loop across the organization which not only drives interconnectivity, but it also sort of removes some of those sort of those fragments and the segments and the silos of data that we have across the organization. And in that feedback loop, how much artificial intelligence are you using or machine learning are you using to automate that feedback loop process? So automation is a huge part of this. In fact, um, we have a, a challenge before the team right now is one of the two challenges I typically see within you know, uh, the feedback loop is what I call the first mile problem and the last mile problem within data. For instance, the, the typical approach the organizations take is there's a data organization, there's a, an application organization, the application leaves the data in front of the door for the data organization to do what it wants. You know, the data organization takes the data, curates it, generates a model, and leaves it back at the doorstep. What we are trying to do is to automate this life cycle. I used the word assembly line in the past, so I think where we are right now in our foundations, we have built those individual assembly lines. Now it is about interconnectivity, connecting those machine learning, those individual assembly lines to generate an end-to-end -end experience. And the second part of it is in terms of AI and machine learning, as I mentioned earlier, that is actually a very core part of how we are starting to build our models. In fact, we are starting to use the model factory that was built on Vertex, and all those models are starting to use machine learning as a core part of it. 
Richard, when I hear Santosh talk about end-to-end lifecycle, I can't help but also think about your customers. How are you taking your consumer base into consideration as you're walking through some of these interconnectivity options and data processes and end-to-end lifecycles that you're building at CNA? Yeah, I, it's a good question, Chris. So I think, you know, as we think about what we're doing, um, really our end goal is to make things better for our customers, for our agents and brokers that work with us, what we call our internal customers, right? Our, the business areas that we serve. Um, so really, as we think about these products, right, and the vision, um, that's the starting point. Right? Where do we want to sell? What do we want to be able to do? And then iterating in the form of minimally viable products, testing, learning, getting feedback, all the way on the way there, leveraging these new capabilities, and then getting a little bit better each time in that direction. Rather than a, an older viewpoint where you try to plan the whole thing out and then spend you know, a long time trying to build something and then throwing it in front of a customer at the end. Right? We want to avoid that sort of paradigm because our ultimate goal with all of this is to deliver value. Yeah, I love that. And Santosh, we were talking before about this, this concept between building project-based transformation or product-based transformation. And there's a life cycle conversation in there. Can you give me your views on the differences between like a project mandate and a product mandate? So a typical project-based approach, you know, has a sort of a start and end time to it, right? There's a finite duration. You know, you sort of pre-decide what the scope is. And the typical approach is a very waterfall-centric approach where you're working many months and you build a product hoping that meets the need. I think one of the most interesting sort of aspects of analytics transformation is very often we really don't know what is the product that we want to build. You know, I, I mentioned the model factory. I mean, that really started as a, a small kernel of an idea that we had because as we were looking at, like, how do we improve our time to market, we were looking at a lot of solutions, and many of those were point solutions. So we just had an idea in our mind saying that, hey, what if we could really build an end-to-end -end assembly line that really simplifies this? And that's really how it started. And within, you know, a, within 10 weeks, we had a very first prototype. And as we took this to the users and they started using that, we established a continuous feedback loop. And I think that's why I think a product-centric approach is more effective. It's number one, I think it establishes a continuous feedback loop. And number two, it really gives us an opportunity to, to continuously iterate. And there have been many occasions, even during our migration journey, where we actually had to course correct. We had to make significant changes based on our learning. And the third piece is having this continuous feedback loop really helps us enhance and evolve and mature our products. Nope. Chris, I would relate that back to what I talked about with leaning into the gray, right? That's really what that is. We don't know exactly what this is going to look like. We have our vision. Um, but that feedback loop builds that trust with our customers, knowing that we're taking in their feedback, we're iterating, and we're going to land in a good spot, even if we don't know exactly what it is several years from now. Let's dive into that process a little bit. So we're talking about feedback loop. We're talking about iterations and continuous improvements. If we were to compare notes, say, five years ago, maybe before your cloud journey really started, what do you think the average time did it take you to get to market with a new idea versus today? Like, what's the difference between those time sets? I'll give you a couple of examples. I think one is around the time to market. And the second thing is around really around usability, how soon you can actually have access and people use it. So the model factory that I referenced earlier, it was a prototype that we built within 10 weeks. And we actually used this last fall to deploy our very first set of models. 
where we were actually able to deploy those models within a few hours. Now, in the past, the same set of models would probably have taken us days, if not weeks, to deploy. And the second thing from a time-to-market perspective is, like as Rich alluded earlier, the way we are thinking about this analytic products and the way we are iterating through this as a series of MVPs, we are actually giving it to the hands of our customers and users to start using this. So rather than them waiting for months or years to put their hands on the product, they now have the ability to actually start leveraging and using these products. Now, it may not be perfect, but at least they start getting value and start taking advantage of this much earlier. Yeah, just the simple fact that you can take something that would have normally taken you weeks down to hours, I, I think is incredibly impressive. So I'm going to ask a very challenging question here. And if we were to say, what is the one thing that you think contributes most to that speed to market? Was it a technology change or shift? Or was it a cultural shift that helped you accomplish it? Which one would you say? So obviously technology plays a huge role in terms of automation. But I think the biggest change, I think for me, is really the cultural and mindset. So I'm going to give an example. So I talked about the automation story in terms of the progress we have made over the last 12 to 15 months. So now, for instance, like every three weeks, you know, my team, you know, does a demo before Rich and I to really talk about the progress. So there's almost like every team is trying to outcompete each other in a friendly way to say, hey, look at the things that we have automated. And those are things now we don't even ask people to do anymore. It's sort of built into the bedrock. It's built into the foundation. It's a really an automation first approach that people are taking technology. Yes, there's technology behind it, but for me, the more impressive thing and the thing that's really going to um, have a huge impact on us is really the change in mindset. And that's a very similar kind of behavioral change we are really expecting as we start launching and reusing these products. Because at the end of the day, you know, you may have the best technology, you may have the best, you know, uh, widgets out there, but it really we need to change people's behavior and their mindset in terms of taking advantage of it. I love that example. I actually have heard of another customer who have these little tournaments internally to see how much they can automate. So just that initiative to bring the developers uh, the opportunity to do something that contributes to the organization as a whole is tremendous. Richard, what do you think? Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And, and I'd add culturally too, right? The, the biggest um, difference is that recognizing that a minimally viable product is a minimally viable product. It's not perfect yet, right? And by getting that feedback earlier on, you iterate much more quickly towards something that's valuable for the user. Um, and again, culturally, right, that takes a lot of trust um, between the user base, between your customers and you, making sure that they know, right, that there's aspects of it that aren't that polished yet, but we're looking for your feedback and we're going to take your feedback and bring that back and integrate it into what we're doing. So culturally, that's very, very important as well on top of the technology. And it all kind of comes together to rapidly increase the speed which, with, with which we can deploy these things. You know, you mentioned minimal viable products, and that's a term I think most of our viewers will understand. A term that is less understood, which I use often when I talk with my customers, is minimal viable business outcome which is to define what is the ultimate business outcome that we hope to achieve by this change or product or new thing we're going to offer. Do you look at things in that type of context? We do, and I, I think that's a great term for it, right? So if I think about you know, an outcome versus an output, right? If I'm building something to 
um, satisfy a need, right? And output in my mind is something that might check the box. I need this that does this, right? Whereas an outcome is really, I need to have this information to do my job effectively. I need to have these sorts of insights that help me do what I'm doing, right? What's the fastest way I can get those insights and get to that outcome? So I think that's a fantastic point and is absolutely how we look at it. Santosh, in that process, as you're developing new products and you're thinking about what the market needs and trying to get to market faster, there's some level of research and development that you're going through. How are you leveraging the cloud to support that research and development? The way we organize ourselves is through different swim lanes. So I'm going to give you an example right now, for instance, in terms of the model factory. So we've had a lot of success so far in terms of starting to use the model factories, you know, in terms of time to market. But we are also starting to, we are actively thinking about sort of what's next. For instance, one of the areas, specifically in the predictive model space, is there are two areas that we are actively doing research and partnering with Google engineers on. Like I said, one of the big challenges we have had, I think we have, not just within CNA, but across the industry when it comes to the predictive model life cycle, is how do you unify the data across, you know, the data set you use for training versus serving. So, for instance, there's a lot of research underway right now in terms of like how do you leverage something called as a feature store to enhance the process. Model monitoring, again, is another example of where, you know, once a model gets deployed is how do you establish this active constant monitoring where you're looking at the performance. So, so every one of the products that we are building, you know, as we have people that are getting to a mature state in terms of deploying it, we have a set of engineers who have a certain amount of time always carved out to be start thinking about what's next. You mentioned the industry, and at the opening, we talked about how the industry has been changing uh, big lately, but the industry will continue to evolve. Richard, how have you seen or how has the industry changes been impacting CNA? Looking at the um, at CNA and the industry more broadly, right, how technology has been leveraged, um, and you made the point early on about the difference in investment, there has really been a big change, right? And this difference in thinking. Um, so, you know, as I think about what CNA is doing, right, we're really building um, this data and analytics foundation, not just for now, but for the future as well, right? These things are changing, and this, this kind of uh, relates back to what Santos was talking about with research and development, um, right? We, we don't live in a vacuum in the insurance industry, right? We live in the world around us. Um, so as these things continue to change, how do we leverage them to better serve our, our customers, our agents and brokers, right, internal customers to really deliver more value and make things better? You know, we're obviously seeing a lot of changes in industry in terms of speed. You know, the world, the world around us is changing, let alone the industry. And I think it's very important for us to be, you know, always a step ahead, you know, be very nimble and very agile. So I reference the products that we're building right now around interconnectivity. And as we're building this, we're also starting to think about like what's next. You know, we are keeping an eye in terms of like what's going on within the industry, our competitors, but the world in general. So we are starting to think ahead. So we are always sort of positioned in terms of having the necessary foundation to be able to respond and react effectively in a timely manner. So I was actually reading an article just a couple of days ago about the industry. And one of the things that it was referencing is, and, and maybe you can relate to this, a 125 year old company typically doesn't present itself as being maybe a fun place to work or an interesting place to work, engaging. The industry as itself seems at times maybe boring. I'm not sure how the best put that, but 
how do you look at talent? How do you attract talent, especially with all the exciting things that you are doing at CNA? So let me start with my own uh, uh, experience joining CNA. So as I said, like, you know, this is my first time in insurance, you know, and you coming in, this is a hundred plus year old organization. And there are sort of the, you know, uh, conventions about like insurance industry in general, sort of, you know, being slower than other industries. So when I came in here, I think what I was really wowed and surprised was, was the amount of opportunities out there to really transform this place. And I think what we really have showcased in the last 18 months is any industry can transform. And in fact, when I talked about sort of the playbook of transformation across those five pillars, and that quite honestly is really agnostic to which industry it is. Now, yeah, there may be some specifics around products that may change across industry. But the thing that stands out really across my experience has been really around the talent and culture. And I gave an example earlier about how, for instance, within the technology teams and the data teams, you know, people are so excited to go after this where they're almost like being self-driven right now. And the second piece that I think really makes it attractive for people to come to a place like CNA is at the end of the day, people want to have an impact. They need to know, like, how is the stuff that I'm doing right now going to, at the end of the day, benefit the organization? Sometimes as engineers, and I'm an engineer myself, and I'm guilty of it, we love to build great uh, machines, we love to build great products, and we just hope people will come and use it. And I think Rich and I, I have learned, to, I mean, even within the last 18 months here, is that typically does not drive the right behavior. You may have the greatest machine, but there has to be an incentive for people to change and adopt this. You know, so, and one of the things that's also very important, we talked about talent, but the thing that um, is equally important as part of this cultural change is around communication. And one of the things, again, as an engineer, sometimes it's hard to tell the story, but the storytelling is a very important part of the communication. And we are actually starting to leverage different avenues for us to send, you know, to communicate and let the organization know what we are doing and what's in it for them and how is it going to make their lives better. I would add to you that this really isn't possible without a diversity of backgrounds and individuals involved in this, right? So as we think about this transformation, this wasn't only individuals who are experienced with Google Cloud and only engineers or only insurance professionals that have a lot of background. You know, we have folks with all sorts of different backgrounds involved in this coming together, um, which really is a more difficult way to do this than having a big homogenous group. But it's the only way that this gets focused in the right direction, as Santos was saying, to deliver value for the organization. So I think from, from my perspective, that's what's been so incredibly gratifying about this whole thing is everyone learning from each other. All these different backgrounds, whether it be insurance-focused, technology-focused, um, a little bit of both, people that kind of um, uh, sit on the fence in between, coming together uh, to focus on that impact and that transformation. I love it. I love everything that you're both saying. And Santos, you mentioned that talent is a part of those five pillars that you outlined at the beginning of our session. For a quick summary, can you just break it down? One, two, three, four, five. What are the five pillars? The most, the fundamental pillar is around building the right foundation, a foundation that allows us to scale and speed. That's really, really the bedrock of a transformation. And the second piece is around how do we take advantage of this foundation to deliver value in terms of analytic products? And the next three pillars is really around culture, which I break this up into sort of the operating model is like, how do you drive the tighter synergy between technology, analytics, and business? So all the three are at the table as we design these products and outcomes. And number four is attracting the right talent. And we are also spending a whole lot of time in terms of upskilling a talent. In fact, one of the visions we have is to establish an internal data academy to upskill a workforce. And the last piece of it, which is 
probably the most important is around change management. It's around repeated, constant, continuous communication. And at the end of the day, we need to really bring the organization along this journey. Thank you for sharing that. So part of each episode, we love to give our guests the opportunity to ask Google questions. So is there anything that you would like to ask me as part of our conversation today? So one of the reasons we partnered with Google along our cloud journey and our AI journey was your strength in analytics and AI. So from a Google standpoint, you know, where do you see the world sort of evolving, say in the next three years, five years, again, given all the changes we're seeing around us, like how should I, as sort of an analytics officer for CNA, be thinking about in terms of where to take the analytics ecosystem? Yeah, that's a great question. And you're right, Google does lead analytics. <laughs> um, I think one of the interesting things that we're going to see when it comes to analytics is just the deeper relationship between analytics and your data and how that can evolve over time, leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning and how that can also evolve through, you mentioned it, an ecosystem where you can begin to connect the dots of a customer experience or a journey that they go on from maybe moments before they engage with you directly. Now, what's happening in their journey before they reach CNA? What's happening in their journey after they leave CNA? And being able to bring that together to paint a much richer understanding of that entire consumer journey. And so some of these analytics that you're talking about, uh, there's questions around privacy. There's going to be questions around what's available that you can get to. But I think we're definitely going to be able to have a, a deeper understanding of what people want or need and how that can help you. And don't forget, we've talked about this already today, is that data that you're working with is not directly related to your consumers either. It's related to your products and your internal processes and your ability to improve your uh, organizational and, and your culture. One of the things we love to do at Google is we have people analytics. And people analytics is all about better understanding what our internal people need and evolving the culture so that they can have a better work environment. So I think all of that is going to continue to just get richer and deeper and more interesting uh, for us to use. Chris, I, I guess the question I have for Google, right? And you know, Google works with a lot of different industries with the with the cloud and these types of transformations. Uh, I'm curious, you know, is there a particular way um, that you've seen where sort of organizing the individuals, the right types of individuals, the right backgrounds, you know, any insight you can share uh, as to how you've seen that done successfully uh, in the past? Yeah, there's two elements that I think make incredible cultures for any organization. The first is actually the hardest, and that is the hiring practice. And that is implementing a hiring system that finds the talent that you're looking for, while also, challenging enough, removes some of the bias in the hiring process. It's very challenging. But if you can do it successfully, and Google has written a lot of papers on this process and how we do it internally, you will find that you're bringing in the talent that is going to contribute directly to that culture you're trying to build. That's the first one. The second one is to listen to your talent, listen to your employees, hear what they have to say, 
And I mentioned a moment ago, people analytics. At Google, we have a process by which we survey, listen, make changes to our culture based on what the employees have to say. And a lot of times organizations will survey their team and say what's working, what's not working, and then do nothing. And you just can't do that. If you're hearing something from your employees, you've gotta be willing to make that change no different than you are making a change to your own products and services that your consumers are asking for. Manage that in the same way as your internal talent and teams, and I think you'll be successful. Well, thank you, Richard, for your time today. Thank you. And thank you, Santosh. Thank you. Thanks for having us. If you would like to learn more about CNA at cloud.google.com transform, we dive deeper into this transformation journey. And don't forget to hit subscribe and join us again for more visionary thinking and lessons learned on the next episode of the Transformation Debrief.